My first ministry was in a small town called Cleveland, Mississippi. And uh, they had a university there called Delta State University, and that's, that's where I worked. I was a campus minister. And uh, the coaches at Delta State did, a, I think, a mean little trick. They would go internationally, especially the, the golf and the tennis coach, they would go internationally and they would recruit people to come to Cleveland. And those kids, especially the ones from South Africa, they didn't know that they were coming to Cleveland, Mississippi until they got off the airplane. They, lit, they thought they were going to this big town with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and pro teams, and, and they come into this small town in the Mississippi Delta, and they were very disappointed. And uh, one was a guy named Louie, and he and I became really good friends, and so he got married to a girl from the Mississippi Delta. He wasn't disappointed anymore. And uh, I got to do his wedding, and at his wedding, uh, his grandfather was there who uh, had tons of great stories, and he told what I think is a South African folk story. Uh, you can ask Charmaine later if you want. He may have made it up. I don't know. But he told this great story about a, a ship that was out at sea going around the, the horn of South Africa, and uh, in the storms, one of the masts came loose, and it threatened to do great damage to the ship if they didn't get it tied down. And, and one of the brave sailors went out by himself and secured the mast. And on his way back in, he, he got a little overconfident, and a wave washed him out to sea. And, and while they were in that storm, there was really nothing they could do. They threw him life preservers. They, they got as much stuff out in the water as they could, but the boat kept going. It was in a storm. As soon as the storm was over, they, the man's friends all went to the captain and they explained how brave he had been and they explained how he had a family with children back home and they, they implored the captain, turn around, turn around, go back and get him. And his first mate looked at the captain and went, sir, we've got good winds. If we try to turn around, I mean, we don't even know where he is. We don't know how far the storm drove us. It's going to take days to find him. And the sailor, the, the captain looked at his men and looked at his first mate, and he said, turn it around. And so they began the really hard work of lowering sails and turning sails and, and slowing the boat and getting the boat going the opposite direction, and it did. It took two days, and the captain told them, men, if you don't find him by the end of this day, then we got to go. We can't continue to lose time. And they, at the, before day... Before the sunset, they finally heard him yelling. They, they got the boat over to him. They pulled him aboard. And the captain went to him. He said, you stayed alive in the water for two days. How did you do that? And the man said, my hope sustained me. And the captain said, what were you hoping in? And he said, sir, I knew you would come back to get me. That's the kind of man you are. I knew you would come back to get me. That's the kind of man you are. We are in a text today that represents, that, that explains one of the most unexpected ends of silence that uh, happens in the Bible. It is an end of 40 weeks of silence for Zechariah, 
who went into the temple. He was a priest. He, you know the story. Jonathan preached on it a couple of weeks ago. He went into the temple to make his incense offering. He, he, it was the only time in his whole life he would get to go in there in the, the sacred place. And while he was there, he sees the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel tells him that he's going to be the father of John the Baptist and that Messiah is coming. And Zachariah says, well, how do I know this is true? And Gabriel is like, well, do you think I do this all the time? I'm here. And, and Zechariah asked for a sign. And so Gabriel gave him a sign. He said, you're not going to speak again until the baby comes. And he was struck dumb. And, and honestly, from this text today, it looks like he was struck deaf as well. And for 40 weeks, he couldn't hear. For 40 weeks, he couldn't speak. What do you do? What do you personally do when for time, for weeks, for months, you are confronted with silence, long periods of silence. What do you do when your prayers are not heard, when they just bang against the ceiling at best? What, what do you do when you go through times like uh, the psalmist in Psalm 69? He says, I have looked for you into the darkness. I've peered into the darkness till my eyes have grown dim. I have called out to you until my voice is, is parched. And you still do not answer. Where, where do you put your hope? This text in, tells us we can put our hope in God. Because that's the kind of God he is. Even in the midst of deafening silence. He is the kind of God who became a baby. He is the kind of God who gave us his own son. He is the kind of God who cannot lie. He is the kind of God who is filled with tender mercy. And you can put your hope in him. Please stand as we read this last passage of Luke chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he should be called John. And they said to her, But none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to this father, inquiring, well, What do you want him to be called? And he answered, asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all the things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Zechariah goes into the tabernacle or the, the temple and he spreads the incense before the Lord and he prays. And he's supposed to come out and say the benediction over all the people of, of, in the city who've gathered there. He's got 12 benedictions to choose from. This is his moment. He walks out and nothing comes out. He can't speak. 40 years, 40, sorry, 40 weeks, 9 months, he can't speak. He spends that time meditating on his faith. And there's a purpose there. He's meditating on those benedictions. But God's doing more than it seems. He's not just, you know, taking away Zachariah's voice because of his unbelief. He's giving us a, a mirror image. You see, if your Bible were written the way God revealed it, Matthew wouldn't start one page after Malachi. It would start, it would have 400 pages of silence, blank pages in between. Because the Lord has not sent a prophet to his people for 400 years. For 400 years, there's been silence, no one speaking. And God has Zechariah go through this 40 weeks as a, as a representation that there's no speaking, there's no benediction, there's no blessing, and they're beginning to wonder, is God, has God left us? And then Zechariah's mouth is opened. The, the last thing that, that God said to his people was, I'm going to send you the son of righteousness which will arise with healing in its wings. It's the last thing he said in Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi. And now, after 400 years, he opens Zechariah's mouth. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's stop for a second. What do you do in those times of silence? I know you've been through them. You're probably going to go through them again. That's part of the Christian life. What do you do? What do you do with prayers that go a long time without being answered? Do you get mad? Do you throw fits? Or do your roots grow down in the dirt the way they do in winter, waiting on the summer sun to bring them back to life or bring the plant back to life? What do you do? It's hard. It's hard, but Zechariah shows us we have an anchor. We have something that we can hold on to. 
What do you do with your impossible prayers? You know, a few years ago, we had that for Christmas, right? We had everybody bring their Christmas offering and a prayer that they'd been holding on to that they didn't think would ever get answered. And we put them in the offering plate, and I took all those prayers and prayed through them, and I put them in an album, and I've got that album in my office. And every now and then I get it out. It's kind of funny. I get it out, and I go, oh, that one got answered. That one got answered. Nobody ever calls me and says, my impossible prayer got answered. But it's okay. It's fine. I understand. You forget. You probably forgot what you wrote on the card. What did you do while you were waiting? When I was a fourth grader, 10 years old, uh, we got a new pastor in my church. My church, on a really full day, on Easter Sunday, we had about 31 uh, 31 people, that was it, that's all we had. And uh, we got a new pastor, and he wanted to, instead of preaching on Sunday night, because every good country service church has church in the morning, church at night on Sundays. That's what you do. And he didn't want to preach twice on Sunday, I understand that. And he said, we're going to have to turn the Sunday night service into a prayer service. Now the problem with that was, these were Presbyterians too, and Presbyterians don't pray out loud. And so nobody would ever pray. But I would, because I like talking out loud. And so I was a fourth grader, and I began praying. And you know what I prayed for every time he did it? It didn't last very long. But you know what I prayed for every time that he did it? I prayed that the Lord would bless my dad and bring him home and change him. You know when God answered that prayer? About six years ago. 35 years later, 35 years of silence, 35 years of waiting. I had stopped waiting. I had given up, but God hadn't. He's patient, and he's slow sometimes, but he's always right on time. What do you do during the times of silence? And then Zechariah opens his mouth, and this is a very pregnant verse. It's a very pregnant verse uh, of Scripture. It says, and Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It's the first time that's happened in 400 years, and he opens his mouth. And you know what he does? He goes back to those benedictions. And instead of pronouncing a benediction that he should, the way that they had always been pronounced, he puts them in the past tense. He said, God has done it. He has done it. He has done what he promised. He has visited his people. He's he's kept his promises to David. God made a promise to David that you'll have a king on the throne forever. You know how long that lasted? One whole generation. Had one king over all of Israel united, Solomon. And when Solomon died, the kingdom split. And then, if you, you know, it lasted a while, but there was always tension and fighting between the two there was never one king again and then there would be you know the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the the uh, Persians and the uh, the Greeks and then finally the Romans and Israel barely existed and there certainly was no Davidic king on the throne God do you keep your promises or not and Zacharias says yes He's coming. He's coming. The king that's been promised. The sun is rising. 
It's peeking over the horizon. He's kept his promise. He's, he's kept his covenant to Abraham, the covenant that not only would your family be blessed, not only would your family spread out like the, children, the, the sands of the sea, but through you the whole world would be blessed. And, I mean, honestly, shouldn't it be a little bit easier for us to believe that? I mean, Zechariah is talking to like 12 people, maybe, some small town in the Judean hill country. Such a small town, the, the, the Bible doesn't even give us the name of the town. It's a hamlet. And nobody believes him. I mean, look, today, this week, how many millions, how many billions celebrate the name of Jesus? It should be easier for us to believe. It should be easier for us to sink our anchor in the name of God. We see that he keeps his promises. And, and Zechariah tells us he's, that's the kind of God he is. I, I've been listening to some R.C. Sproul lately, just kind of finding a new voice to have rolling around in my head. And uh, he tells a story of when he was a young uh, a young professor, his first job after getting his Ph.D., uh, it was in Pittsburgh. And he was there, and there was a, a colleague of his who was very old and got sick and was dying in the hospital. And he would go to the hospital to see him. And the last time he went to see him, the man was so weak that he couldn't speak and he couldn't, couldn't move really. And R.C. saw his lips were, were parched, and he saw a cup of ice beside his bed, and he, he got some ice, and he he put it on his lips to, to comfort him. And he said he, he clearly was relieved by that, but his eyes didn't light up. He said his eyes didn't light up until he brought out his Bible. And he read to him, he read to him from Hebrews chapter 6, these words. For when God had made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, and an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which in, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge may have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. We have a God who keeps his promises, who cannot lie. And what are those promises? Zechariah begins to open up to us, doesn't he? He promises for us uh, forgiveness, and to, to bring them forgiveness for their sins. We don't, we don't talk about that a lot, 
But that's, that was the huge thing. That was what God gave us in Christ in, in sending his own son, by, by forcing his son to, to confront the silence, having, letting his own son call out into the darkness, uh, please don't, don't do this to me. Take this away from me. Is there any other way? By having his son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By having his son be the one crying out into the darkness, he forgives our sins. He pays the debt that we could have never paid. And you may think, ah, oh, I've heard that, and that's no big deal. We got that years ago. But you didn't. And you know how I know you didn't? I can make you feel guilty so easy. It's just there. Out in the lobby, I made a guy feel guilty for going to the gym. You feel guilty that you didn't go to the gym, don't you? Neither one of them is a sin. By any means. How many things did you apologize for this week that wasn't even a sin? It's because you, you feel this guilt. It's just there dormant and you're looking for an excuse. It's the first thing I say when I go to comfort someone when they've had a loved one die because I, I, know, I know what you're thinking. I can look at them and say, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I didn't do enough. You know why you're thinking you didn't do enough? Because you didn't. What's enough? What's enough? Yes, we all have that guilt walking around with us, and we need to put our anchor in the truth that God has forgiven us and that let that empower us to walk around not as, as people trying to earn God's approval, not as people standing under a God with his arms folded and, and just being disappointed with us. But understand that we have a beloved Father who for, has already forgiven us. And he's just glad you tried. He's just glad you tried. He's promised us forgiveness. He's promised us light. This is just so good to, to sink your teeth into. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. He, he's promised us light, light of hope, the light of joy, the light of, uh, of being able to take sure steps without fear. And, and some of us don't feel that. And I know that. I, I, I know this morning, I mean, this morning I got a text from a, a pastor friend in Mississippi, and he said, I'm praying for you. And he sent me that text while I was composing a text to one of my elders asking him to pray for me. And I told him, I called depression the black dog. That's what Winston Churchill called it. And I said, the dog is just right, right next to me today. I need it. We don't feel the light. And, and that's what I want you to understand. This is, this is important, okay? Lock in right here. Christmas is for sad people. Christmas is for sad people. Who is it for? He tells us. To give light to whom? To those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Again, he's quoting the Old Testament. Just like uh, earlier he was quoting Malachi 3 when he says, The sunrise shall visit us. Here he's quoting Isaiah 9, right? Your, your favorite Christmas songs probably. Your favorite Christmas promise is definitely mine. What is it? How does it start? A light has shined on those who, who live in darkness. 
On those who live in darkness, I'm sorry, if I don't start it right, I'm not going to get it right. Those who live in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who dwell in the valley of darkness, a light has shined. Why? For unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. That's the light, but who is it for? Don't jump to the promises before you see who it's for. For those who sit in darkness. And again, because you're so guilty, you feel bad for sitting in darkness. I can make you feel guilty for that. But God loves you. He's come for you. And he's trying to shine his light. He is shining his light on you. This week, I, uh, last week, I taught a divorce care group. It was kind of a special seminar on surviving the holidays. I was shocked by how much I loved it. It was very fun. And uh, I'm probably going to teach the whole 13-week seminar. I'm definitely going to teach the whole 13-week seminar uh, in a few weeks. But I, I was teaching it, and I was really struck. Right at the end, uh, they had Paul Tripp come on. And Paul Tripp said those words that I've already quoted. He said, Christmas is for the sad. Now, don't get the wrong idea. I love ugly sweaters and Christmas lights and tacky songs. I love it all. There is nothing about Christmas I don't love, right? I watch Elf. I watch all Christmas Vacation, the bad movies that you're not supposed to watch. I watch them all. I love silly parties. Friday night I was in an ugly sweater getting green streamers wrapped around me trying to look like a tree. I, I love it all. I just wish all the silly parties were a little further away from Christmas. Because Christmas is not about silly. It's not really even about happy. It is about hope. But it's for those who sit in darkness. For you, God has given his son. For you, God has promised to bring light. God has given light. And you can trust him. And why has he given us light? Zechariah tells us in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Isn't that great? Why has God been gracious to you? Because of his tender mercy. He doesn't need anything outside of him compelling him. He doesn't need anyone to be talking him into being kind to you. He doesn't need anyone to talk him into shining light upon you. That's just the kind of person he is. He is the kind of person who loves to show mercy. That's the kind of person he is. I, uh, I learned a story when I was in seminary about a writer named Alexander White. Alexander White was a pastor in Scotland. And uh, he was a great writer, wrote a book called Bunyan's, Bunyan's Characters, uh, Bunyan something. And he was a great writer, a great preacher, very widely renowned. But he made a really bad mistake one night. He had a bunch of preachers come to his house for a meeting. And preachers never leave. I don't know if you know this. They like to talk. We like to hear. I used to make, I used to invite a bunch of pastors to come and each light a different candle during our Christmas uh, offering, or our Christmas service. Y'all remember when we did that? It was so long. It was such a long service. Because preachers, we love to hear ourselves talk. We do. And so nobody would leave his house. And 
he finally got the guy to leave. Now, there's different ways you can do that. And I want you to know that if you've got people who don't leave, won't leave and you need to go to bed, and I want you to know how. So this is how you do it. If you're a community group leader, this is what you do. If people won't leave, you pray. You pray really loud. You close in prayer. You say, let's close in prayer. And then as soon as you say amen, walk out of the house. They'll all follow you. If that doesn't work, if it's too small of a group, what I like to do is I'll say, so where are you going next? That gets them thinking about where they're going. And while they're giving you the answer, you walk to the door, you unlock it, and you open it. If I ever do that for you, it's not because I don't like you. I just like sleep more. So Alexander White couldn't get this guy to leave. He just kept dragging on and on and finally walked him to the door. And the preacher, he, he, he just cast out one final hook. He just wanted him to talk a little bit longer. And he said, Pastor, what word of encouragement do you have for an old sinner like me? And White wrote in his journal that night, he said, I could see behind his eyes a pain, a hurting. That he's sinned. He's sinned much. And he's been sinning for a long time because he's a sinner. And he feels like God has been moving further and further away from him. I could tell that that question, disguised as kind of a quip, had a lot of hurt to it. And he quoted Micah chapter 6. He said, Who is a God like unto you? who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He will not retain his anger forever because he delights to show mercy. And he said, sir, nothing I can say will comfort you. You have to go home and deal with a God who delights to show mercy. Why has God given us his son? Why has God shined the light on those who sit in darkness? Because he's merciful. Because that's the kind of God he is. Do you believe that? Will you grab hold of that? As, as Hebrews says, will you set your anchor in that? Please pray with me. Father in heaven, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. Would you help us? Would you help us to believe that you have kept your promises to us? Would you open our eyes to see that you're not standing with your arms crossed and angry? And you're not disappointed, but you're for us. And you are filled with tender mercies. And you delight to show mercy. Father, I pray for the ones in here who just don't believe that. Who don't believe that you are kind enough to see them, to see one individual. Father, I pray that you would show us that you are the God who visited Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary. And you visit us. Amen.